Welcome to the first ever Old Firehouse School podcast. Today we have with us Nadia Taylor. Uh, Nadia was talking to our staff today about anti-bias education. Can you tell us a little bit, Nadia, about your background and what brought you to this work? Sure. Um, So I started teaching preschool in 1989, and what brought me to anti-bias work was the promise that it offered, um, both to me as a teacher and to children and to society, in the sense that it is an opportunity for children to get to know themselves, to feel comfortable with their identity, um, and also to give them the skills to be able to stand up for themselves and others in the face of things not being fair. What is your definition of diversity? My definition of diversity as it relates to education is that children and families in the program that they're in as well as in the society they live in are represented fully so that we don't have um, some children and families um, invisible in the learning community. Um, And that includes the materials, the classroom environment, as well as how um, teachers interact with them and their family culture. Do you think that people are just born prejudiced or do they learn that? How does that happen? I think children learn prejudice from seeing prejudice. I don't believe that um, people are born with a prejudice. I do think that as humans, we are born to work in social groups and to figure out the norms of those social groups so that we fit in. And I think that that's where um, bias and prejudice comes in. And so children learn that as a natural dynamic of learning how to be a human in the society that they're living in. But children also can very easily learn that to appreciate differences and to not see them as scary. And um, I think that that can also be as much a part of their socialization as learning um, how to be harmful to someone because of their differences. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more, elaborate a little bit more about why sort of the anti-bias curriculum is important for really young children? Oh, for sure. Because part of what children are doing in life is, I think one of their main tasks is to learn about what it means to be a person in the world that they're living in. And as part of that learning, children are very observant. They listen to the things that we say as well as the things that we don't say. And they are little scientists. And so they're making models in their head. They're coming up with hypotheses. And um, they're trying to put information about the world together um, with whatever um, experience and knowledge they are learning and given from the adults around them. And so um, anti-bias education becomes relevant for young children because part of what they're doing is learning about who they are and who they are in relation to other people. And so um, many adults have had the experience of being out in the community with a young child who notices something. Wow, that person's body's really big. Why is their skin so black? How come their eyes are shaped that way? Ooh, that wheelchair is scary. They talk funny. And these are all ways that children are trying to understand what's happening. They also notice what we say versus what we do. And they pay attention to that middle ground. So if we say, you know, men and women are equal and they can do whatever they want. But then in our homes, children see, oh, that might be true, but mommy is the only one who washes dishes. And daddy is the only one who takes out the lawn, uh, the, the, the trash or does the lawn work. Then children will start to notice, hmm, maybe it's true that men and women can do the same things, but actually it looks like they don't do the same things. Uh, and so how do I fit? Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of ways that dealing with these questions of identity and social role 
um, are really key to children's um, growth. I have Alex Dutton here with me, um, who's a director, program director in Lafayette, and I think she had a few comments or questions. Well, at what point is it appropriate? Like, at what age do you think children are able to understand diversity or differences, and when should we start talking about it with children? I think we can start talking about it with children from a very, very, very young age. In an early childhood setting, mm -hmm. if you had infants, I think you could start there oh, um, wow. using, you know, because with babies, right, we, we sort of translate what we're doing out loud to them mm -hmm. so that they can see that. And so that's an opportunity I mean, because babies are curious, right? They touch your hair and you might even be able to say, wow, yeah, my hair is, is, is long or my hair has is uh, curly. Your hair is straight. You know, just being able to, to notice in the world that there are differences. Um, but definitely you have to do it in a way that is developmentally appropriate, right? So with a four-year-old, you're not going to have a conversation about heterosexism in the workplace, right? right. Um, but you might be able to talk about the fact that people marry who they love and sometimes who they love is the same as them and sometimes the person who they love is different. Right. And mm -hmm. that's developmentally appropriate language for a four year old. If you were dealing with 10 year olds, you could have a much more nuanced conversation. So you definitely have to know your crowd. But I think that you see families talking to their babies about, you know, who they are and what their values are. And um, and so I definitely think as teachers, we can do that and um, find the language that would work for the age group. I think that as children get older, though, um, they begin to mirror some of the things that they see in the world. So they may um, act out, you know, their baby. So we don't, we call it pre-prejudice. Things that without um, some conversation with adults could turn later on into prejudices. Mm -hmm. So when you see children policing each other's behavior around gender in terms of what they can play with or what they can wear, or um, an interesting one around this time of the year is sometimes a child may ask, um, one, they may assume that everyone celebrates Christmas, right. for example, and maybe after Christmas they have a conversation with their friend and something might come up where it turns out that one child didn't get a present and another child did. And so that child might say, oh, you know, the, your parents may not, must not love you very much because you didn't get a present. Right. Because they're, they get the message, right, mm -hmm. that Santa brings mm -hmm. a present and that's mm -hmm. based on love, but there's an economic perhaps issue All right. or there's a um, cultural difference mm -hmm. in terms of holidays. Mm -hmm. And so that then I think the teachers can go beyond just noticing that people are different and start really helping children to have the tools to talk about what those differences mean and that um, just being different isn't bad. Right. Um, but in order for them to, to really have the tools to have those conversations and not just continue on what they're hearing in the world, mm -hmm. Um, they need adults to be able to guide them. Otherwise, they only have each other to depend on or they only have their mm -hmm. their limited understanding of mm -hmm. the world and then they make mm -hmm. these connections that we might not want them to end up with. Mm -hmm. What can preschool teachers do when they're in programs that don't have a lot of diversity? Uh, how can they contribute to? Absolutely. Uh, well, first of all, even if all of your children look the same, you have a lot of diversity because there's going to be differences in how families come together. There'll be differences in family routines, preferences for food, um, how they want um, the gender roles to be, um, religion, language, right? So there's always diversity because none of us are exactly the same as the person that's sitting next to us. That's right, yeah. Um, and so I think that teachers um, can build on the diversity that they have in their classroom first and helping children to see the places where they are the same and where they are different. 
and then they can think about how they could bring in the diversity of the larger community so that children can begin to see that there is more outside um, of their classroom than what they see in their classroom. So maybe there is a language group that's very common in the area where you live, but you don't happen to have that language group in your classroom. So maybe it's an all English classroom and Spanish isn't um, represented. But you want children to know that Spanish is a very common language in our community. So you might bring in signs in Spanish and have some books that are bilingual in Spanish. You might introduce music in Spanish. Um, and so children are just starting to be exposed to the fact that, wow, people think of things in different ways. They say things in different ways. Um, and that just opens the door a little bit mm -hmm. to the fact that most of us um, live in a in, in diversity, mm -hmm. um, in a, even if not in our own house or in our own school, that there is diversity in our communities mm -hmm. and we want children to be exposed to that. Well, what do you think parents can do outside of a preschool setting to help their children embrace these ideas and diversity and acceptance? I think part of it as parents is we have to feel comfortable to, to bring up topics and to notice with our children. Uh, I think sometimes as a parent, there's a fear that if I say out loud that someone is different, that I might be introducing my child to being prejudiced. Yeah. Right. Um, and yet I think what the research shows is that children are really curious about the world and they're looking for some guidance about that. Um, and that lack of conversation can really be a powerful teacher. It mm -hmm. can say that this is too scary to talk yes. about yes. and uh -huh. that the adults don't have any answers and that this, and so therefore I have to figure all this out on my own. So if you have values that as a family that you want your child to know, then be upfront about those values. Um, notice with your children the things that are happening in a developmentally appropriate way, in a culturally appropriate way for your family. But then you're not leaving the children on their own to try and figure these things out. And hopefully that means that when they're an adult, some of these topics won't be so scary. Yeah, that's you know? what I was going to ask you, what was the end goal? Is that the end goal for us? In terms of anti-bias education? Yes. Mm -hmm. I think the end goal for anti-bias education would be multiple things. I think it would be, we would know it was working well when child outcomes could not be determined based on gender or race or social class. Uh -huh. um, we would know it when children felt really comfortable to show their identity in whatever way felt best for them that our families in whatever package they came in felt that they had a voice in our programs and that they were reflected in our programs and that their identity was something that people didn't overlook and that it was something that was really embraced and that that happened on a systemic basis. Um, that's when I think, you know, we, I would feel like this was, had been a success, you know, overall in society. I think that, you're saying it's, it, it needs to be systemic and it needs to be something that happens, you know, from, from so many different levels. But what is typically happening is, you know, kind of a case-by-case -case basis. Okay. Like when my three-year-old yesterday were at a coffee shop and he points at a homeless person and goes, that guy's weird. And it's like, weird. Whoa, weird. <laughs> what do you mean weird? And I'm trying to have a conversation, but we're at the coffee shop and it's not necessarily the best place to have a conversation about homelessness. Uh, so what what are what are the things? Because our kids say things all the time that are just oh man, I don't want to have this conversation in the grocery line, but I do want to have this conversation eventually. Well, one, I think 
we have to be honest with ourselves that part of the reason those questions are hard is just because it's embarrassing, mm-hmm. right? And you wonder, oh my gosh, did everybody in line just hear that? Do they think I'm a terrible parent? Do they think my child is terrible? I have my own thoughts and feelings about homelessness, right? So part of it is we're having this internal dialogue based on this comment that our child has said. And so uh, I think as a parent and a teacher, it's always really nice to um, buy yourself some time. And one of those ways to buy time might be to say, I'm really curious about that. Tell me more. Okay. Right. Give yourself a second to think. Or what I say to my daughter, who sometimes also makes interesting comments, is I say, you know, I can really see that you're noticing that. I want to talk about it in the car where we can have more time, where we won't be interrupted. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes I will say, yeah, I see that you're noticing how that person is dressed and they might be dressed different than us. And we have to remember that how we say things could hurt someone's feelings. Mm -hmm. So it's okay to notice it, but we want to think about how we notice it. And I really want to know more about your questions, but I want to talk about it when I know we have some time to really talk and then give me two minutes. Yeah. Right. Um, And so I I think that as families, we have to be honest that these are questions that most of us were never prepared as children to answer. Mm -hmm. Right. And as parents, we have a pretty big task and sometimes, and as teachers and sometimes emotionally we want to run away from it and and then we have to remember that one not all people get a chance to run away from it Mm -hmm. not all people have the the privilege to not have to deal with these hard topics and maybe we're part of that community and we're still parents and we're still teachers and so we just have to figure out our best way um in any given moment to um to support children to um try to figure out their best way through this world. And we have to give ourselves a break um, and we have to get support and we have to get some knowledge. Um, And in the moment we have to give ourselves a second to to think and process that emotional response before responding to children. I think. I mean, like you said, if we do, if we just shush them and we don't allow that conversation to happen, maybe not at the coffee shop, but at home or in the car, then it suddenly gives that message that this is a taboo subject or we're not going to talk about that. Right. Absolutely. And I think I just would add the last thing is that it, it is, um, it also can give the message that the thing that they said was okay. Right. Ah, that, yeah. that homeless person is weird. No ah. one commented on it. We just kept going. And so, Oh, that, that assumption that I've made based on the little bit of information I have must be correct. Oh, right. okay. yeah. And so, you know, children listen to what we say and what we don't say. Right. And they make their conclusions based on that. Right. Could you recommend maybe one or two books that you found really compelling and that would help parents and teachers? Well, the easier one for me is teachers. Um, there is the anti-bias education book. Um, it's called, um, anti-bias education for children and ourselves. And um, it's a really great resource to help teachers understand um, their own personal journey through this process, as well as how to guide and work with families and children. Um, Lots of great tools in that book. And then an interesting book for parents, which this is around gender and gender roles, is called um, Cinderella Ate My Daughter by Peggy Orenstein. And it's about sort of um, princess culture and girly girl culture. That. We see that at the old firehouse. Absolutely. Sure. And it, I think it just gives some interesting um, ideas about the relationship of very girly play to uh, marketing and money, and also how it's really limiting um, both our boys and our girls. So that could be an interesting read. And it's not like a textbook. It's sort of an interesting perspective from a, a mom's journey. 
you've given us a lot to think about today, and I think all the teachers here at Old Files School have greatly benefited from your wisdom and your perspective, and we will carry on. Great. Thank you. I'm thank excited you. for your journey. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed our first episode of our podcast, Fireside Chats on the Young Mind, brought to you by Old Firehouse School. We will be doing more episodes on topics in both education and parenting.